0: Hope Church. All right, good morning. Good morning. We are in Genesis chapter 15 here on this brisk fall day in Athens, Georgia. I'm glad each and every one of you are here. Some of you just making it back from traveling, from Thanksgiving. Got others still on the road, I'm sure, today. Um, but we want to give thanks to the Lord. And, you know, as we think about Thanksgiving, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, um, you know, it's an awesome time of year where we, we remember, um, the, the things that the Lord has done for us and, and what we have been given. And it's, uh, you know, it's a tradition in our country. Um, you know, as we remember the, the, uh, pilgrims who came, those who separated, From the Church of England, so that they could, um, you know, worship, you know, God freely as they um, saw best. And and we know they didn't see everything um, perfectly by any means. And and I'm sure we we all have areas still to grow in. But uh, they had a sincere desire to be able to worship, you know, to worship God. Um, And we've been reading. Um, with, with our kids, some of that, that story um, and how, you know, they gave up in England, everything they had, you know, they gave up their houses and, and their lands. They were thrown um, in prison um, because, you know, they wouldn't worship according to the King's ways um, that they wanted to worship um, according to the, the Lord's ways. And then they went over to Holland for a time, and started over, you know, with nothing, um, basically, and um, then um, gathered enough, you know, to to, to um, hire out the ship, the Mayflower, um, and they sailed across. And um, you know, thankfully for that group with the indigenous people that were here, you know, there was a long period of, of peace um, that they had, and there was a real, um, you know, Thanksgiving. That they that they celebrated, but what did they celebrate Thanksgiving after? See, when the when the Mayflower landed, it was fall, and in that winter, forty five out of a hundred and two died, almost half died, and then you know they they um, with the help. Um, you know, of Squanto and, and the indigenous people that were there, they, they learned how to use the land and they learned how to plant corn and they learned how to, to survive. Um, and that following fall, after they had been there for a year, they took a week to give thanks. Um, and that's an interesting thing because it came out of great hardship. You know, they're giving thanks. Many of them had lost, you know, they had, they had all lost their, their dearest friends. And many of them had lost, you know, their, their family members, they had lost wives, they had lost children, or you know, wives had lost husbands, children had lost fathers. And yet their natural inclination with the half that was left was to give thanks. And you know, we, we sit here today in twenty twenty, and it's been a rough year, and people have lost friends. And people have lost, you know, family members. Um, People have endured hardships. And yet, we still have reason to give thanks. This is especially true if you are um, one like Abraham with faith in the true and living God. If you have faith in the true and living God, you have reason to give thanks in all things. And we're going to look um, at that a little bit this morning in Genesis chapter 15. Um, I think it ties in well with this season of the year. Um, because in Genesis 14, we saw Abraham had to go and rescue his nephew Lot. His Lot, Lot and his, his family had been taken off, were um, made captive after a war. Um, that, um, Adams, I mean, sorry, not Adam Ad, Ad, that lots, um, you know, the people around him have lost and he was taken off in captivity, but Lot came in, I mean, sorry, Abraham came in, comes in to save Lot and, um, and protects him and rescues many others as well. And so it's in that context that we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 15, verse one. So let's pray, Heavenly Father. We come to you this morning, and we give, we give thanks, dear God. We give thanks in the in um, in times that are wonderful, peaceful, joyful, where we have blessings, and Lord, we give thanks when uh, things have been taken away and people have been taken away, and yet we still give thanks, dear God. Because you are good, you are holy and you are just and you have made a way of salvation through us, through your son Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you went to the cross on our behalf and you loved us that much. And so we thank you this morning that you're a risen Savior and you will return as King. And we praise your holy name this morning, dear Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 15, verse one, it says, after these things, that's after the battle, after rescuing Lot, after meeting Melchizedek, um, who is the high priest, um, of the most high God. Um, he is the King of peace and the King of righteousness and I encourage you to go back if you missed last week's on Melchizedek, cause it's such a huge, um, and important, um, part of scripture. But in verse 1 of Genesis 15 it says after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying do not be afraid Abram I am your shield your exceedingly great reward I hope that you can this morning say to the Lord that the Lord is your your shield you know thank you God that you are my shield and that you are my exceedingly Great reward. I hope that God Himself is sufficient of a reward for us. Is being in relationship with God sufficient of a reward for us? I pray that it is. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir now remember Abram is kind of in some way like reminding God you know you remember that promise uh, that you promised that when when you called me to come out from the false gods of my father when you called me out of Ur of, of the Chaldeans and you pulled me away you know, when I followed you, I followed you, and you promised that in my seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's kind of reminding God, because you see, I go childless; the heir of my household is, um, you know, not from my seed is really what he's saying here. you have giving me no offspring. And verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, that's God said to Abram, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for... Righteousness. He believed in the Lord and they counted to him for righteousness. This is a really important verse and it's, it's repeated multiple times in the new Testament. Now we need to be clear that Abraham's faith started when God called him and said, you know, to, they need to leave his father's household and follow God. That's, that's when that faith, you know, begins and, and that faith continues He believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him. That's the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. And this is what, you know, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and the book of James tell us that Abraham Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Three times in the New Testament it's given. And a lot of Romans chapter 4 is dedicated to that theme. And so I'm going to read from, from, Abraham, from Romans chapter 4 about Abraham being justified by faith. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says, "What? What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So I want to talk about that just for a minute this morning. What does the scripture say? He's answering the question about Abraham justified by faith or by works. And what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And then the Apostle Paul makes this point. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but but as debt. See, that's the difference between a gift and, and wages. See, a gift is something you receive that you did not earn. But when you work for someone, and and you work for someone, and there's an agreement that they're going to pay you at the end of that work, right? So for the work that you've done, the work that you did the one for, that one is in debt to you. Do we understand that? That person is in in debt to you until they make the payment. So a person who says, I am working for my salvation. I'm going to be good enough so that God will accept me is saying to God God, you owe me. You owe me. You see, I've done these things, and because I have done these things, God, you owe me one. You owe me salvation. You owe me a place where you. You are in my debt. Now imagine that. See, folks, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. God does not owe us anything. You see, we are the ones who had the sin debt that we couldn't pay. We are the ones who are the debtors. We're in debt to God with a debt that we could not pay our debt of sin. And God, in His grace, pays the debt for us. That is Jesus going to the cross on our behalf. But what does religion do? See, religion tries to flip the script. And even many, quote-unquote, Christian religions do this where they change the script between we owe God and, and God in his grace pays our debt. They flip the script. Somehow you are going to do good. And then God owes you folks. That's not what the Bible teaches. God does not owe us anything. That's why we call it grace. God does not owe you salvation. That's why it's called grace. By his grace, we are saved through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So that no one can boast. Some are going to say, well, does that mean I can just, I can just do what I want then? You know, Jesus becomes my get out of hell card. Folks, that's not the attitude of somebody who's received grace. And it's not God's plan either, because Ephesians 2.10 goes on to tell us, after us we were saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. That it's the gift of God we are told for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus beforehand for good works. See, we are to, to do good But we don't do good in order to be saved. We do good because we are saved. And now we have the potential to do good in a way that gives God the glory. Instead of saying, I'm going to do good so that I receive what God owes me. Again, there's a mentality there that we have to be sure to address. God doesn't owe us anything, but by his love, he gives us his grace. We receive it in faith, he changes us, and then we now have the power and potential to live in a way that gives glory and honor to God. I'd encourage you to go and read the rest of Romans chapter 4 today. I'm going to read the last few verses of the chapter. And we'll go back to Genesis. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him or given to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us or given to us, you know, put on us. Who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For my offenses. Your offenses that you see, this is what again we have to recognize you and I have offended a holy God. But Jesus was delivered up in our place, He was put on the cross in our place, and He was raised for our justification, so we would be made just in Him. See, we are made just. We who are not just. We who are unjust. We who are sinful are made just. We are made righteous in Jesus Christ. What a blessing that we have. There's so much more in Romans 4. Including about Abraham... And his, um, you know, in Genesis chapter fifteen, as Romans four tells us, Abraham is is old. It's like it's past time for him to have a child. Sarah is old; it's past time. And then in Genesis fifteen verse seven. Then he, that's God, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and place each piece opposite the other but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses Abram drove them away. See God had a purpose in this in verse 12 that when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God tells Abram to set up these these sacrifices and to do this in a very specific way. But now, you know, these vultures are coming down. To the carcasses, and Abraham has to drive them them away. And doing that, you can imagine he's getting tired. He's getting worn out. And the sun comes down and, and Abraham falls into this deep sleep. And this is where God is going to show him something. And notice it says that, behold, great horror and great darkness fell upon Abraham. Now that doesn't sound pleasant, does it? You know, he's given this promise, but then he's being told something that's going to be pretty dreadful. He's told that his descendants are going to be strangers in a land and that they will be afflicted 400 years. Now, we know, as we have the rest of the scripture written for us, we know what this ends up being. We we know the Hebrews are ultimately slaves in the land of of Egypt. What started out well for them goes gets bad, and then it gets much worse. So, what God's promises is blessing, problems, and blessing. Folks, that's a lot of times just how it is. You see, if you come to follow Jesus, you come to put your faith in Jesus. You believe in Him. You're made His child. You're saved. You know, we have this idea in our head that, okay, from then on, we're like on easy street. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, the scriptures guarantee, basically, certain hardships, certain times of trouble for those who follow Jesus. So it's like there's this salvation and blessing, and then there's also times of trial and of hardship. And we have to, you know, the goal is to make us more like Jesus. So Jesus endured hardship and suffering. And how can we be made like Jesus if there isn't any hardship and suffering? Well, it's not really possible, folks. There has to be a certain amount of hardship and suffering in our lives if we're going to take on the character of our Lord. And God cares much more for our character than he does for our comfort. Do we understand that? God cares more for our character than he does for our comfort. Yet there are seasons and there are times of peace and of blessing, of joy, unmitigated by great hardship. But there are also times of hardship. We need to understand that. But, you know, and you can imagine the horror, the dread that came upon Abraham when he heard that dreadful news. So I'm going to take us back again to, to our context today in 2020. And, and it's certainly, again, been difficult for our world and especially for those who have lost loved ones either directly because of COVID or because of depression brought on by isolation or some Unrelated reason like cancer, but then it's still been compounded by all that we've been through in this pandemic. But just imagine being told that 2020 was going to be just the beginning of a very bad time. That it wouldn't get any better. In fact, it would get worse for the next five years, oh wait, not five, but ten, oh, not twenty-five, but for your whole life, or well, not just for your whole life, but for your children's lives, and not just for their lives, but for their grandchildren's lives, and great-grandchildren. Now that would seem pretty hard to bear, right? Now we're clear, Abraham is told, you know, you're going to die in an old age, and you're going to die in peace, this isn't going to happen in your time, it's going to come later. But so many in our world have endured hardship for long periods of time, but yet again with the Lord also find reasons to have joy and to be thankful and to carry on. You see, even in, even in captivity in Egypt, the Hebrews had marriage and had children, had family and continued on and pushed on, you know, through the struggle. And the scripture tells us how we are to be. We are told to, had not left the apostle Paul, even though he had asked three times for the Lord to take it away, he's, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, Paul says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So one of the things I'm hoping that we're learning in 2020 is something that I certainly have more to learn in But how to give thanks in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial? See, folks, I'm I'm hoping like most of you are that one of two things happen: either that um, Jesus just goes ahead and returns quickly, like that's really what we want, right? We want Jesus to return and set everything right. That's our hope. But if not that, you know that 2021 would be a little better than 2020, right? That we wouldn't continue to go down. This hardship, and again, we we need to oftentimes look around because, see, we can get um, caught up in ourselves and what we're going through, and you know, and when we do that, then what we're going through becomes the worst. (laughs) But if we open our eyes and look around at the world, and See, sometimes what other people are enduring, we go, well, I'm, I'm not happy about the current situation that I'm in. But what about those those folks? See, and then we can start thinking about, okay, now how do we help others? So we, we, we spend less time focused on our own problems and more time Focused on how do we help others. That's a better way to live. That's a better way to live. You think about people who've endured a lot in this year, you know, our country has been economically affected in a you know a negative way for many people through what's happened. But a, a poorer country like Honduras. So much more. And so most of what they've depended on, they've had left is you know their, their farming. And then they get two massive hurricanes. So it's Honduras, Guatemala. I need to include Guatemala. Um, and, and just you know, other, other places in Central America. But these massive hurricanes have wiped out what people have had. You know, people work, and they don't. You got to understand, folks. You know, they, you know, for most of us, if our if our house something happens to our house, you know, we have a, we have insurance. A lot of people in the world don't have that. They don't have that system. Can't afford that. Um, it's just not how things are. And so you have these you know whole neighborhoods and communities where the hurricane came through you know uh, the dam broke and mud has filled their houses and rotted everything. can't be repaired. Just have to start over. Now, I want you to imagine just everything, you know, your your family. If you're younger, think about your family. If you're a little bit older, think about everything you've, you've worked for in your home and your possessions. And now just imagine only having the clothes on your back and that's all you got. I mean, it's literally zero and there's no insurance. There's nobody coming and saying, hey, you know, this is covered. your your house is gone, your land is uninhabitable, how your major living is taken away. Not to mention all the family members and neighbors that you've lost in the process. So there's levels of devastation. There's levels of hardship. But one of the things that we need to do is To learn how to endure. To learn. To be more reliant on the Lord. And to have our strength in him. Because that will make us a little bit stronger. Than we are in our flesh. Maybe not just a little. Maybe a lot. Than we are in our flesh. But you see Abraham was given hope. As well, in verse 17, it said, And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenazites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And Abraham was, was promised all of that. Now, but remember, one of the reasons that God was taking his, some time with that is because he had said in verse 16, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. See those reading the law of Moses and you read, you know, Genesis on through the first five books, you know, it's clear One of the things that that God says to the people, you know, it's not to the Hebrews is it's not because of your righteousness that you're receiving all this, but because of their wickedness. That God's judgment was going to come upon them. But in God's judgment, no one could ever say that God is not patient because even for generations, the Amorites have opportunity to repent their wickedness, but they do not. Even today, people have opportunity to repent. People have opportunity to humble them, you know, to be humble before God and say, Lord, save me. I'm the one who is wrong. I am in your debt. You owe me nothing. But please, by your grace, save me. See, those who have humbled ourselves before King Jesus, we've asked for forgiveness. What is our hope today? No matter if things are relatively peaceful for the rest of our lives or great hardship comes, what is our hope? 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope? See, the scripture asks the question too. For what is our hope? Our, Our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. See for the Apostle Paul and and the, the missionary team with him, his hope, his joy, his crown of rejoicing is that yes, that he would be with the Lord Jesus Christ, but not him only, but also you know the church in Thessalonica. The church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, God's people all around the world, that they would be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. A friend of mine in another part of the world sent a message this morning. Uh, A man they had been sharing the love of Jesus with, the gospel of Jesus with, for the last two months, stood up in their last meeting and said that he had asked God to forgive him, that he believed in Jesus, that Jesus had died on the cross for his sins, had risen from the dead. Making his public declaration of faith in a context where that could easily, easily cost him his job make him an outcast among his family to where he could lose everything but he has gained Jesus. At the end of the day, what is our hope? we were, got to see some people this, this weekend who were part of our church when it was known as Downtown Community Fellowship, when we met downtown. And um, just talking about we changed the name and we had these different ideas for these names. And Derek said, I think I think it should be one hope church. And that resonated. We were we were thinking some pretty trendy names at the time. And it's like, well, I'll tell you something that's not just going to be a fad. Jesus Christ, he is our one hope. I pray that he is your one hope this morning that that's real and that we are reminded and even every time we say the name of our of our church of our that that we are reminded of where our hope lies and if your hope is in Jesus come what may you have reason for joy and thanksgiving And hope for the future. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. In prayer we sing a couple more songs. And we have the communion. Table to my left. And that bread that represents. That we are part of one body in Jesus and that cup that represents his precious blood that was shared for us. I pray that you take it this morning if you're a follower of Jesus and you take it with a clear declaration that your one hope is Jesus. It's not yourself. It's not your good works. It's not anything else. And that you are his. We take it that we are his. And we also take it that we have a hope that there'll be more participants at the Lord's table till he comes and at his table in his presence and that we would live accordingly. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We pray that you would help us, those who have been justified by faith, to continue to live in it. Because God you always keep your promises. And you are trustworthy. And even in hardship you are with us. As you were with Abraham. As you were with. As you were with the first disciples through Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit you were with them. Even after you had ascended. And you were with us. Lord Jesus, our fellowship is with you this morning as we take that bread and that cup. We remember you. We give you thanks. And while we ask, while we look forward to sitting at the table with you in glory, even now, you invite us your presence, to fellowship with you at your table, this table of remembrance, of thanksgiving, of joy, peace, and hope. We thank you, dear Jesus, in your precious name.